Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's so good to be with you here this morning. We are continuing our Lenten journey. And just a reminder what Lent is. Lent is kind of a season of repentance. And that word repentance is basically a big word for us to kind of reset and to reassess some things in our lives and maybe turn from some things in our lives that aren't doing us any good. Some people during the season of Lent, they give up things or they add things to their life to help them draw closer to God and to God's purposes for our lives. Our Sunday sermon series and our weekly uh, devotionals, uh, you can pick one up on the way out, our midweek services have all been helping us draw closer to the story of Jesus, the passion of Jesus, his suffering. He was betrayed, denied, mocked, murdered, and buried, and yet despite all of that, we are forgiven. Our text today comes straight from Mark, Mark chapter 15, and I'm going to read through it right now and uh, just let it wash over us. It's a serious and deep text. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him, and the written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, so, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, let this King of Israel come down now from the cross that we may see and believe him. And those who crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Now those texts are really heavy. We've been going through some deep texts throughout this Lenten season that really show us the extent of what Jesus endured for us. We also see that from last week, we talked about the mockery of Jesus carried into this week's text. And if you remember last week, we highlighted how we sometimes mock God when we aspire for power and control and influence by lifting up violence as a means or a method of true leadership. Jesus demonstrates a lot of strength in this text, actually, a lot of leadership in that he endured the cross. He could have saved himself, he could have come down from the cross, but he chose to endure it. And when he did that, he demonstrated a different type of leadership and reign and power and influence, a way of life that is far beyond our worldly notions of influence and leadership. That's all intricately connected to the cross. Seven times in our text today, it mentions something to do with the cross. We'll get there in a second, but I want to say thank you, kindergartners. I'm coming over here now. Are you guys ready for me? Yeah? All right, kindergartners, I'm going to need your help a little bit. I always love seeing you guys on the playground, and thanks for playing soccer with me the other day. I'm still recovering from it. Um, I love seeing you guys out there. But it's been good to get to know many of you this past year, and I know I've been able to come to... It was Mrs. Warnicke's class and talk to you some, now Mrs. Nelson's class. But I want you to just think about Mrs. Warnicke, if she were here today, she would want you to hear about how important the cross is. 
And because Jesus went to the cross, that allowed Mrs. Warnicke to be with Jesus in heaven. It allows us to be in heaven too, right? And you've learned about that, haven't you? Yeah. In your school, in your classes with your teachers, you learn about God. You learn about the world. You learn about yourself. And your parents learn quite a bit too, don't they? Yeah, we learn a lot. But we also have a fun time in kindergarten too, don't we? Do you ever play any games? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Anybody ever play Simon Says? Raise your hand if you ever played Simon Says before. Uh-huh, okay. Well, Simon Says, anybody out there played Simon Says before? Okay, good. Proud of you guys. All right. <clears throat> Simon Says. We're going to play a little Simon Says right now. You want to do it? Right now, in church, okay? Here we go. Simon Says. Get ready. You have to do what Simon Says, though, right? But you don't do what Sammy does not say. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, great. Thank you for the advice. All right. <clears throat> Simon says, put your hands on your shoulders. Simon says, put your hands on your ears. Simon says, put your hands on your nose. Simon says, put your hands on your head. Put your hands on your knees. Oh, Simon didn't say it, but you guys are pretty good. I would say that's an 80% success rate right there. All right. Hey, you've been learning how to play the game. Simon says it's fun, right? Today, your homework assignment is you're going to go home. Simon says, go home and play Simon Says with your mom or your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, your aunt or uncle, whoever takes care of you at your house, and I want you to have a fun time doing it, okay? Can you do that for me? Oh, yes, you can. I believe in you. Hey, anybody here have the name Simon? Is anybody named Simon? Does anybody know anyone named Simon? Okay, very good. Guess what? In Jesus' day, there were a lot of people named Simon. In fact, in the Bible, there's nine people named Simon. Wow. Simon Peter, he was a disciple. You had Simon the leper and Simon the tanner and Simon the sorcerer. You had Simon uh, uh, Iscariot. You had a bunch of Simons. And there was another guy named Simon from Cyrene, okay? I'm going to talk to the big kids out there about Simon from Cyrene, okay? And I want you to kind of listen along and pay attention. And if you can learn a few things too, that would be great. But we're going to talk about one little verse from our text today, Simon from Cyrene. And I invite you to unpack the rest of the text in our devotional and our midweek services. But I just wanted to look at this verse. Mark 15, verse 21. Uh, we're going to bring it up on the screen here. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. So the context of this verse, this whole passage, is something called the Passover. It was a Passover festival, and it's when the people of God would remember what God had done for them in Egypt, when God had delivered the Israelites from oppression, from slavery, and gave them new life, and how God had passed over them because of the sacrifice of the Lamb. And all those sacrifices of the Lamb at the Passover all ultimately pointed forward to Jesus and the sacrifice he gave on the cross. That's why we call him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But anyway, it's Passover. That's the context. It's Passover, and Jewish believers from all over the ancient Near East would gather together in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And so this is probably what's going on here with Simon. A certain man, Simon from Cyrene. Okay? He's probably coming to celebrate the Passover from Cyrene. Now, Cyrene wasn't like, you know, 15 miles down the road from Jerusalem. Cyrene was located in what is modern-day Libya. It was 800 miles away from Jerusalem. That would have taken him by land, you know, maybe a month or more to travel. Even if he went through the Mediterranean Sea, it would have taken Simon a long time to get to Jerusalem. It was a big deal. 
We don't know for sure, but maybe it was his first trip. Maybe it would be the only time he'd ever get to travel that far to come to Jerusalem to celebrate God's deliverance of his people from slavery and from oppression. And that party, the Passover party, it wasn't like a three-hour party over at your neighbor's house. I mean, this was a full week-long party of celebration, celebrating God's work in your people's history. And so it's pretty, pretty possible that Simon was coming to celebrate this. Simon from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, we're going to get to that in a second, he was passing by on his way in from the country. So in Jerusalem at the time, some people say there was 100,000 people coming from all over the place. That's a lot of people for the ancient Near East. They were all coming to Jerusalem, so they all couldn't stay in Jerusalem. They often would stay out in the country in different cities and villages located around Jerusalem. And then they would show up at Passover to celebrate God's work in their history. So he was passing by, as it says, on his way in from the country, and he comes across a lot of commotion. And maybe he had heard the word what was going on with this Jesus guy, that apparently there had been some kind of trial. And the governor, Pilate, at the time, he even involved the masses in trying to decide what to do with these two different people. And if you remember last week, we talked about Barabbas. He was kind of a patriot. He was a rebel who was convicted of murder, and the people said, set him free. And then there was this other guy, a rabbi, who was accused of treason. His name is Jesus, who was sentenced to the cross. So likely the crowds are still milling around. The crowds are wondering what's going to happen. They're watching for the execution of this sentence. And because all of this, the traffic into Jerusalem already would have been crowded because of all the people coming into the Passover feast and then all this commotion with this trial and what they're going to do with Jesus. And Simon is caught up in the midst of all this. It's like a slow-moving mosh pit of dread and fear and fevered excitement. What is going to happen here? And around the corner comes a band of soldiers, Roman soldiers, pushing and prodding this gaunt figure who he assumes is the rabbi. Jesus, crushed under the weight of the crossbeam. All of a sudden, the Roman soldier looks up, spots Simon. Simon may have been a big guy. They probably called him out. He can carry this thing. They grab him. They, they haul him from the crowd. They force the crossbeam upon this Simon from Cyrene onto his shoulder. They turn him around and point him in the opposite direction of the, the way he had been traveling into the city. They point him out of the city with the cross to the garbage heap that doubled as the Roman execution grounds. That's where it says they forced him, they forced Simon to carry the cross of Jesus. And to us, that sounds kind of crazy. It's like, well, the government can't do that. The police can't do that. They can't make me. I'm a, I'm a citizen of, of the United States of America. No one can tell me what to do. But in the ancient Near East, that was common practice. Government, military, whoever was in charge could take any civilian and say, we need you to do this job, you do it now, and you did it. But that wasn't the most difficult part for Simon. See, the implications for Simon from Cyrene, for him to carry that cross, that cross and all that was on it, meant that he would be unclean according to the Jewish rules of the day. It meant he would not be able to go into Jerusalem. It meant that he could not celebrate Passover. It meant he had traveled 800 miles for no reason. He was about to enter the city. He was on the edge of reaching everything he'd expected. And he was forced to turn away from Jerusalem, turn away from the party, turn away from the celebration. 
All because of some lazy Roman soldier. And who was this rabbi? Jesus. But there's really something interesting about these words on this screen. And we passed right by it. I've passed by them so many times when I've read it. There's two little phrase there. Simon Cyrene. It says right there, the father of Alexander and Rufus. I've read that so many times. The father of Alexander and Rufus. You see, the guy who wrote this gospel, his name is Mark. And he wrote this account of Jesus' life to a bunch of Christians, kind of like us. It was like he'd be writing a letter to us, community of believers. And so the people he's writing to know who Alexander and Rufus are. They're part of the community, which means they came to believe in Jesus. It means they were Christians. It means that Simon, life was changed. Mark could have written it this way. He could have said, hey, it was Simon of Cyrene. You know Alexander and Rufus' dad. Simon, oh yeah, Alex and Rufus' dad. We know him. We know, we know those guys. That's kind of how it was. You see, Christian tradition from these verses and other traditions, these words from Mark say that Simon, we're playing Simon Says. See where I'm going with this? All right. Simon Says, though he didn't say anything in the text, Apparently, he eventually did say quite a bit to his family and to the world about his experience that day. Simon had traveled so far. He expected one thing, to go into Jerusalem, to celebrate the Passover. But God came into his life and totally changed the trajectory of his life. And he found everything that he actually needed in the exact opposite direction of where he thought he would find it. And we, we might speculate, people speculate, what was it like for him to carry the cross of Jesus? Did he get a chance to talk to Jesus? Did he help Jesus on the walk? Did he know right then that this rabbi was more than just a teacher, more than just a rabbi? Did he know that he was falsely charged? Did he know that he was enduring this cross and this pain from an actual place of strength? Did he know right then that this was the Son of God? It seems that at some point in time, this Simon from Cyrene, he came to believe that. We don't know if it was right then. We don't know if it was a month or a couple years later. But at some point, that experience of carrying the cross of Jesus changed his life and his family's life forever. And the cool thing about it is he was actually able to experience the true Passover on a garbage dump outside of the city. Because the Passover lamb was sacrificing his own life for him and for all of us. Pretty awesome. And so I think there's a couple things we can take away from this text. We could spend a lot of time on it. But the first thing that popped out to me was our expectations for this life are often so much smaller than what God actually has planned for us. Sometimes we think of our life should be going in one way. We're traveling 800 miles to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. We have expectations. We've worked so hard for that one thing. And then all of a sudden, it seems like everything comes crashing down. Everything we wanted to be is not. I think we can learn from Simon today that we can be open to the fact that God just might be working in that situation in our life for something far greater, far deeper, something even better and more profound than we 
could ever imagine. And that thing could change the trajectory of our entire lives and our families' lives and the legacy that we leave forever. That's the second part, second thing I want us to take away. What sort of legacy? What sort of legacy are we leaving behind? Simon from Cyrene left a legacy. He's mentioned in three different gospel texts. And we don't see Simon say anything. But we know from history that he said a lot. When Christians would ask what happened at the cross, believers would say, well, Simon says. Simon says that the cross is where he found life. Simon says that Jesus changed his life forever for the better. Simon says that there's far more to this life than we often expect. Simon says, I'd gladly carry that cross for Jesus again. We've got our kindergartners here. And whenever the children come up and sing, I always, I always think about that question of legacy, the legacy that we've been a part of and the legacy that we are passing on for generations and generations to come. And personally, I couldn't help but think of my dear friend, Mrs. Warnicky, who, like Simon from Cyrene, left a legacy. Mrs. Linda Warnicky, she carried the cross of Jesus, too. The very first time she carried that cross was 23 years ago. She carried the cross of cancer. She carried it for a long time, and then God took that cross away from her. And out of that suffering from 23 years ago, her life was refined. She was given a new purpose and direction. And while it was hard for her at the time, and she did not expect it, it changed her. It refined her. And Mrs. Warnicky set about to do some simple things, to radically love her family, to radically love the children entrusted to her care, and to radically love those children's parents, their families. And a humble kindergarten teacher changed the eternal trajectory of countless lives. She carried a cross a second time, recently this past year, and God called her to the heavenly home. But her legacy lives on. Like Simon from Cyrene and his sons, Alexander and Rufus, the legacy lives on. And I think that if Mrs. Warnicky was here today, she would play Simon Says with all of us, and she would say, Simon Says, love your family. Love your family with everything you got. And then I think she would also say, St. John's Lutheran Church, Simon Says, Love these kindergartners and every one of the 800 students entrusted to your care at this place. Love them and love their families. And as our kindergartners say, not Mrs. Warnicky, not Simon from Cyrene, but our kindergartners are leaving a legacy for us this morning. They sang those words that were so pure and so righteous. They sang, grace is bigger than your sin. Grace is bigger than your fears. His grace will see you through.